Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM and Talk 99.1 FM. This is Sam DeMarco, your host on the Elephant in the Room, and uh, we have a great show planned for you today. Now, I feel a little bit I'm sort of by my lonesome. Uh, John Schneider, the executive director, is not here with us today. He had to make a special trip out of town. So I'm here joined in studio by Daryl Grandy, our dazzling Daryl, as I refer to him, our producer, who does a great job, fantastic job, making sure that you get to hear from our guests. And one of the reasons I'm so excited, we're joined in studio, not over the phone, but she's actually here in Western Pennsylvania and here at our studios at the top of Green Tree Hill by Megan Martin, candidate for Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Sam, uh, for having me once again on your show. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. Now, hey, Megan, you've been on the show before, and this is back when you know you were running in the primary and things like that. Well, primary's over. You're the nominee. You're out there. And I remember you came to us when you were on the last time. You said you had gotten to all 67 counties you know, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I mean, are you having any regrets here? Do you wish you lived in Delaware, maybe? <laughs> Rhode Island? Absolutely not. I love the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Sam, and it has truly been my honor traveling this great Commonwealth. Uh, it was, it's was. it been a privilege for me to be part of this process, and I'm so honored to have won the primary and to be our party's candidate for the November election for Commonwealth Court. And I am enjoying thoroughly my travels to all 67 counties. I, I made it to all 67 before mm-hmm. the primary. I've committed to doing it again before Election Day on November 7th. I'm, by the end of this week, I should be about halfway there. So we are traveling over 5,000 miles every month. Wow. And I love it. I, I've said from day one, I think it's important if I'm going to ask the people of our great Commonwealth to vote for me, I want them to see that I care enough to come out into their communities and work hard and earn their votes. And I'm doing exactly that. And I'm loving every minute of it. I, I, everybody has always said, to me how big and how beautiful Pennsylvania is and I completely agree and and you get a whole new perspective once you drive the Commonwealth and once you get to go to all the special places all across Mm -hmm. our Commonwealth well you're you're I don't say you're fortunate but I mean it's great that you know here we are uh last day of July so as you're traveling and traversing the Commonwealth in these counties you know it's it's a lot nicer to do it now than it was when you started this process you know, last winter, okay? Absolutely. It's it's, it's a joy to be traveling Pennsylvania in the, su- the spring and summer months, and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the fall when the leaves change. Oh, I'm sure I, I was be- just going to bring that up, right? Yes. I mean, this, this just, you know, people talk about the turnpike, right? The turnpike can be boring, but boy, in the travels across the state, you get to see how beautiful, Absolutely. you know, it really is. And, you know, so many people in the urban areas don't recognize that, you know, Pennsylvania's number one industry is agriculture. Certainly. You know, 100%. and there's so much beautiful land you know, here in the in the Commonwealth. Absolutely. And the land is beautiful and the people are beautiful. I've really had wonderful conversations with people all across the state and, and I've really enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed hearing their concerns, listening to them, seeing what's on their minds and then sharing my message with them. And, and I think it's been a wonderful experience for me. It's very special. I, I almost think that everybody should run for office or be part of a team with somebody who does mm-hmm. run for office because it makes you appreciate the process, appreciate the democratic process, appreciate our republic even more. And, and it truly is an honor and a privilege to be part of all this. And, and I'm loving every moment of it. I really am. Well, it's an honor and a privilege for us to have such a well-qualified candidate looking to represent us on the slate in November. And I was just going to ask you, what's the reception you're getting from people across the Commonwealth? Sam, thank you for that. Uh, it's been a terrific reception. I think that people are engaged and they're interested in the judicial races, which I think is very critical. I, 
I think that some people don't realize how important the judge races are and how important it is that we get conservative principal judges elected. And so that is certainly a, a drum that I've been beating loud and clear, loud and clear across the, the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And and my I think that my message is resonating. I, I've told folks, you know, what you're going to get out of me is I'm going to be a judge for everybody in Pennsylvania. I'm going to be fair and impartial. I'm going to check my politics at the doors of the courtroom, as every good judge should do. I'm going to honor my oath. I'm going to defend the rule of law and protect our constitutional rights. And as a Commonwealth court judge, I'm going to hold government accountable. Because just like you and I have to follow the law, so too does our government. And let me tell you, that is a message that, that resonates loud and clear. I've told the folks, I'm not going to legislate from the bench. I'm not going to be an activist. I've served in all three branches of our government, so I appreciate our separation of powers. And when I was a lawyer for the Navy, we used to say, you stay in your swim lane. And so I know that a judge is not a legislator, and I'm, I'm not going to legislate from the bench. And that seems to be a message that people are, are welcoming with open, open arms. And, uh, and uh, I'm enjoying you know, sharing that message with them and reassuring them and, and telling them I'm going to restore faith of the people in Pennsylvania in our judiciary. And, and I'm really working hard to do that. Well, that's great to hear, and great to hear that your message is resonating as you travel across Pennsylvania and deliver it. Now, for our listeners today who may have missed the earlier show, and that this is the first time they're hearing from you, could you go back and talk a little bit about your qualifications, you know, your background, and why you're running? I think you covered a little bit of why you're running, but talk a little bit about your background and experiences so these folks know how well-qualified and positioned you are for this role? Uh, I appreciate that question, Sam. And certainly, I think I'll tell everybody a little bit uh, about my values in judicial philosophy and and my experience. In terms of my values, I want everybody to know, you know, that I am a person who who shares values of faith and family and hard work and reverence for the Constitution. And I hold a judicial philosophy that each and every person across Pennsylvania can trust. You know, my parents really instilled my values in me, and they are who I am at my core. My mom was incredibly devout and faith-filled, and her greatest joy in life was being a mom to me and my five brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the southeast part of the state, and she passed on her deep faith and love of family to me. I'm blessed with my own amazing, wonderful family, my husband, Scott, whom you know, mm-hmm. and we have three great kids. You know, Our youngest is 17. My oldest just turned 22 and graduated from college and got her first job. So, oh, Wow, that's awesome. So thank you. So lots of big life changes in, in our world. And so it's a perfect time really in their lives for me to embark on a statewide judicial race. I would not want to be traveling 5,000 months, 5,000 miles a month away from home if my children were younger. I get my work ethic from my dad, hardworking uh, Italian, son of Italian immigrants uh, from Southeast. And he's 91, started working oh, when God he was him. eight. Yep, amen. And you know, he taught me if you're willing to work hard and roll up your sleeves, you can be anything in America. And so uh, I've taken that to heart and I, sh- I share his uh, relentless work ethic, and I'm applying it on this campaign. Certainly, when I get elected in November, I'll apply it to my time on the bench. And, and that's a little bit for your listeners, kind of about who I am. And then I've, I've talked uh, a little bit already about my judicial philosophy. Well, wait a minute. You left oh, out a I member left of the out family. my member of the family. You oh. left out a member of the family, and you know <laughs> you know how important that is to me. Absolutely. Know? Our Big four-legged member. That's, That's right. That's right. Well, we have, for, for all you dog lovers out there, we have a pony-sized... Uh, Ber- Bernie Doodle. Uh, my husband likes to say that, that I begged for a puppy and I got a pony. Uh, he's about 100 pounds and his name is Holden and he is the family favorite and we love we love our, our dude as we call him. And so right. he's he is part of our family. Well, he must be thrilled when you get to make it home after all these travels. Oh, he does. He state. misses me. And so when I come home, he, he he's he's my guy, which I love. So, okay. uh, yes. Yeah, so for all the dog lovers out there, we do have a fabulous uh, Bernie Doodle. If you go to my website, uh, there's a great picture of him. 
on, on the website, so you, you can check him out. At, it's MeganMartin4PA.com, F-O-R. Well, you yeah. know, the, hey, dog lovers, there's a big <laughs> constituency out there, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Wanted, sure, wanted to make sure you were letting those folks know. That's right. You I and appreciate it. your family it. are big dog we lovers. We are yes. big dog lovers. You know? Okay. So, I'm sorry I interrupted you no, when you were transitioning. No, that's all right. That's and moving perfect. from that to you to government. Yes. And... Um, in terms of my experience, you know, for folks who don't know much uh, about the Commonwealth Court, uh, I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit, then I'll explain how my experience uh, is relevant to that. The Commonwealth Court is uh, a statewide appeals court just beneath our Supreme Court, and it is very unique. It's the only court like it in the country. It only hears government cases. And so uh, I'd like to say it's the court that is connected to the basic necessities of the lives of every single person all across our great Commonwealth. If you wake up in the morning and you turn on your lights or your faucet and you have a utility issue, Commonwealth Court is going to resolve your utility issue. If you take your kids or your grandkids to school and you have an education issue, Commonwealth Court is going to resolve that. It's going to resolve election issues. Um, and it's going to resolve constitutional issues. If you own a business, if you own a farm, if you have a government contracting issue, those are the types of issues that our Commonwealth Court hears. If you have local government or state government, Commonwealth Court is going to hear those cases. And those are all the kinds of issues with which I've had the, the um and a tremendous amount of experience. Mm -hmm. I've really been blessed, Sam, with a career of service uh, unlike any other. I've spent three decades uh, in service. I've served in all three branches of our state government and as an attorney for our United States Navy. I'm not sure that I know anybody else who has the experience uh, that I have in that regard. I started my career working for a judge, so I learned firsthand the importance and the independence of the role of a judge. I've served in the administrations of two of our governors, so I really learned the intricacies of our state government, literally from the top down. And for the last 10 and a half years, I was a legislative lawyer through my service as the parliamentarian at the Pennsylvania State Senate. I was there for more than a decade, and my job was very much like being a judge because I had to check my politics at the doors of the Capitol and fairly uh, manage the legislative process for the Senate. And I always kept our Constitution and our laws and the rules of the Senate as my North Star. And to get and keep that job, I had to get elected every other year by the senators. And I was unanimously elected five times. And so I think that mm -hmm. is a true testament to the fair and impartial way in which I carried out my duties. And, and it shows the people of Pennsylvania that I can be fair and impartial as any good judge should be. Well, let me ask you a question. I've sure. had the opportunity to see some of these Senate proceedings. And they can sometimes get heated. Yes, they how can. Did, how did you keep those 50 senators diverse and from all corners of the Commonwealth? How did you keep those folks in line so that business could get conducted? That's a great question. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, but talk about, hey, folks, talk about putting people on the spot. She has no idea what I'm going to ask. I want to throw that out there and see. Aussie handles that. What, what, what I would say, Sam, uh, and for your listeners uh, out there today, you know, it, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to be the parliamentarian and to be the legal advisor to the presiding officer of the Senate and giving advice on the rules of the Senate and the precedents of the Senate. And so I did my best. I always kept our Constitution as my North Star. We followed the rules. Um, I always gave advice that was in line with our constitution that was in line with any laws that were relevant and uh, the rules of the Senate. And um, the members really, for the most part, wanted to follow the rules. And there, there were times when we, we had moments in the Senate that were a little more challenging, but I, I always, my job was always to do my best and give the advice that I thought was right. And then it was always up to the presiding officer whether he or she would want to take my advice. And, you know, I've learned 
over the course of almost 30 years as a lawyer, you, you can give advice, and sometimes it's taken, sometimes it's not. And sometimes just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And I've certainly given that advice countless times as well. Right. So I did my best just to um, <coughs> keep my cool and really uh, try to keep things as calm as possible. And, you know, I, I, I'm a kind of person who is a consensus builder by nature. I, I don't like a lot of conflict. I think that you can be, you can disagree with somebody without being disagreeable. And I really tried to lead by example in that regard in the chamber. I'm a big believer of that from a legislative perspective as well, is that you never make things personal because when you make it personal, it destroys relationships. And once that trust is broken, you know, you can try to repair it, but it'll never be the same. So, you know, when we talk about disagreements, it should be issue-based. You know, 100%. Based, in your case, based upon the law. Yes. You know, and, uh, but, you know, let's face it, politics is politics. So it makes it difficult sometimes because like you said, you, you talked about, uh, there's a phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's right. You can tell them what the right thing to do is, whether they choose to do it is an entirely uh, different matter. <laughs> Absolutely. And when I've lectured on parliamentary law and procedure, I used to tell people that, uh, that we, the rules exist for a reason because rules establish order and you need order and no matter what the process is but in particular in my world it was in the legislative process mm -hmm. and you can't have meaningful debate on the issues if there's chaos ensuing and so I, I really was a firm believer in following the rules and the rules ensured that the minority gets to have their say and that the majority gets, as the saying went, gets to have their way. That, that, that's the nature of the parliamentary rules, but everybody should have the opportunity to speak and to put forth mm -hmm. uh, you know, their opinions if the rules allowed for it in that particular circumstance. And right. so I do think you know, when, when we didn't follow the rules, we literally did have chaos on the floor of the Senate a couple of times, and, and it is incredibly unfortunate that it denigrated to that. And those were two of, I would say, the worst days of my professional career and, and disappointing. And mm -hmm. uh, I loved the institution, and I tried my best to protect institutional processes and procedures as the parliamentarian. And so when things weren't followed and there was total chaos and bedlam and the relationships did break down, you know, it really it, it was uh, incredibly disappointing and, and heartbreaking, truthfully. Is there a particular experience that you had there, I mean, that you – would view as your proudest day, the thing you were most proud of that uh, you accomplished or that occurred? Um, that is a, a great question. One thing comes to mind, I have a couple, but one thing comes to mind immediately when we had the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. So leading up to COVID, I had gotten to the Senate and uh, I wore many hats at the Senate and one of them was an operational hat. I was the secretary of the Senate. And so I led a team that was comprised of about 80 people in oh, eight, wow. eight different departments. And one of the departments was the security department. And coming from the Navy, I had had a lot of security training. I, I had had a lot of training on issues like active shooter um, mm -hmm. and so I, and continuity of operations. And so when I got to the Senate, I, I said, do we have a continuity of operations plan? And we really didn't have a, 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 an acceptable plan. And so I asked the leaders, you know, can I, as part of my responsibility for overseeing security, can I be in charge of COOP? continuity of operations and they said yes and so that was when I very first started back in 2012 and so we put together a plan and um, thank God we did because when COVID hit in March of 2020 we were not caught flat-footed right. and so the leaders came to me and said you need to find a way that we can continue with session with the legislative process while keeping members and staff healthy 
And I said, absolutely. So I worked with my IT team and my legislative folks and with the lawyers from both caucuses. And we came up with a solution where we were able to have remote participation of the senators in session. And we made history. I'm really proud of it. We were the first state legislative chamber in the whole country where members could participate remotely as if they were in the chamber. So they could debate on bills. They could offer amendments, they could vote, they could do everything as if they were seated in the chamber, but they were sitting either in their district offices or they were at home uh, in their home uh, office, whatever that might look like. And I'm really proud of that because we were able to keep our legislative operations uh, going and the legislative process going at a time when the people of Pennsylvania needed us the most. So I would say that hands down, uh, that was my proudest moment in terms of uh, being the Secretary Parliamentary in the Senate and as a result of that, um, I was part of a national organization, the National Conference of State Legislatures, and we had a little subdivision within that of all the state parliamentarians. And uh, I got a national award for my body of work as a parliamentarian, wow. and I do think that that was a big part of that component was the fact that we were the first statewide uh, chamber to be able to be operational during the pandemic. And so I'm really proud of that. And a lot of the, my peers across the state, across the country rather, would reach out to me for best practices. How, how did you do that? How was it lawful? What did you do? And so uh, I was really honored, um, you know, through the grace of God, we were able to do that. Well, I think that's something that you should be very proud of. And folks, you hear that? I mean, she's not just, uh, you know, extremely well qualified, but I mean, she is incredibly whip smart here and proactive, you know, looking at what isn't in place and putting it in place, having the foresight to understand what might be needed down the road and to put something in place that, again, uh, set the tone and led, you know, in legislatures across the country. So th that's fantastic. Thank you. You know, great, great. <clears throat> what did they used to say on, uh, I don't know if it was a dating game or whatever, or, or maybe it was Family Feud. Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. you know? I'll just say thank you. <laughs> yes, there you go. So um, what would you like our listeners to know about you as you're running at this point in time? You know, here we are, first week in August. You know, elections coming up in less than 100 days, okay? So what would you like our listeners to know? Where should I start, Sam? I guess I will start with today is 99 days until the election. So we're within 100 days, which is hard to believe. Mm -hmm. I would love for your listeners to know how hard I am working for them. You know, I, I quit my job at the Senate at the end of November to mm -hmm. make running for Commonwealth Court my full-time job. I, I'm mm -hmm. that committed to this. As you know, I've got three kids. I want a better life for them, a better future for them. I don't like the direction of things. I can tell you, Sam, the most common sentiment that has been expressed to me from corner to corner of this Commonwealth is that the people think our judges are political and they think that they are making decisions that they shouldn't be making. They're making policy decisions that our legislators should be making. Mm -hmm. And I agree with those sentiments and that's why I'm running. So I want the people to know I'm running for the right reasons. I'm running to restore the faith of the people in the integrity of our judges and of our judicial system. And that to make that happen, I'm working incredibly hard. Like I said, we've traveled all 67 counties. I'm gonna do it again uh, before November 7th. And we're traveling over 5,000 miles every month because I want to hear from the people and I want them to hear from me. I think it's really important. I think that we need conservative principal judges elected to these statewide appellate courts. Mm -hmm. And this year we have a wonderful opportunity to get four statewide appellate judges elected who have conservative principles. And I think that we have a fantastic ticket of which I am incredibly proud to be a part. 
Judge Carolyn Carluccio running for the Supreme Court, Judge Harry Smale running for Superior Court, and Maria Batista for Superior Court. I think that what the people are going to find is that they're going to get judges in all of us that they can trust, judges who are going to follow the law and honor the Constitution and not legislate from the bench. And we're going to be judges for everybody in Pennsylvania. And I think that's what people all across our great Commonwealth should feel really good about that. So I'd certainly want them to know all of those things. Um, what else can I say? Um, I, I guess I just want them to know that I'm doing this for all the right reasons. I'm not a career politician. I've never run for public office before. I'm not a career candidate. I've never run for 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 office. So I think that's important for people to know that, you know, just like them, I, I'm a lawyer, I'm a mother, I'm a wife who got frustrated and thought, you know what, instead of complaining about it, I'm going to do something about it. And so I, I took a huge leap of faith you know, leaving my job and mm -hmm. doing this, and I have no regrets. I'm all in 150%. The only way I know how to work is hard, and I did not quit my job to lose, so I'm out here working hard uh, to win. Well, I can tell you, Megan, I have, uh, I've been on Republican State Committee since 2014 when I was elected, and uh, I've talked and I don't call vetted, but met with and spoken with and asked questions of many judicial candidates over these last eight-plus eight years. And I can tell you here without a doubt, one of the most qualified and articulate people that I've ever spoken to, and I couldn't recommend to our listeners more, you know, voting for you, you know, this November here is, uh, is, the, is the selecting you as the judge for Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court. Well, I really appreciate you saying that, Sam. That means a lot because I have been new to this process. I didn't know anybody on state committee for purposes of getting the endorsement. And so I worked really hard to cultivate relationships with the members of state committee, almost 400 people to, to earn their trust yep. and their support. And I did that. I enjoyed it. My husband always says that my people skills are my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had one, so I, that's a good one to have, I guess. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And it was an important step in this whole process. And so I, so I appreciate uh, your, your kind words. And um, one other point I'd certainly want your uh, listeners to know about me is that I had the, probably the greatest privilege of my career serving as a lawyer for a United States Navy. Mm -hmm. And it was the highlight of my career at the Navy. I was a litigator. I was a contracts lawyer. So I, I got to do all sorts of work. I worked at the Navy base in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I live in Cumberland County in Mechanicsburg. Mm -hmm. And we served, there were five civilian attorneys, and I was on that team. And we served about 2,600 Navy and civilian personnel. And so whatever other issues walked through our door, we also handled. And so it was truly the highlight of my career, privilege of my career. You know, I love America. And my husband and I have raised our children to love America and to respect our men and women in uniform and to respect our men and women in law enforcement. And um, I guess you could say I, I believe in faith and family and freedom. And, and we've raised our children to also believe in those things. Mm. And I don't take anything for granted. And I think we need people to step up who are going to protect those values as well. And that's why I'm doing this. And we appreciate it. You know, uh, I'm a Marine Corps veteran, having served in the Marine Corps. But, you know, less than 1% of our population has ever served yes. in the armed forces. What did you learn about the people that serve when you were there working with the Navy sure. that you would like our listeners to know? I would like them to know, and this is no disrespect to all the people that I've worked with over the course of almost 30 years now, but it was the best people that I ever worked with. It was people who were brave and courageous and humble and willing to lay down their lives for each and every one of us, they didn't know us, but they were so committed to something they believed in, to America, that they were willing to to risk it all for us every single day. And, mm -hmm. you know, I still to this day get chills when I think about that. I mean, it, it, we should be thanking our veterans every single day. Thank you for your service. 
uh, in the Marine Corps, and and one of my children is the he he heads up the we call it the Patriots Club at his high school back home, okay. and it is an organization to honor our men and women uh, in military and in, in who've served in the military, and so he's participated and led all sorts of events. They've decorated wreaths um, on uh, wreaths across America Day, and they've they've just been. Uh, trying to highlight the importance of the role of our veterans in keeping us safe and protecting all of our privileges here that we have in America. And so um, I think that I love that he's that he's doing that and he respects so much the men and women uh, in uniform. And I think that people, uh, I, I wish that more people would have that respect and that patriotism. Like I said, I love America and I love our, our military who has kept us free and safe uh, all these years. And um, I think it's really important for people to, to, to know how good they are and how hard they're working. Uh, and they're not doing it because they want glory. They're doing it for all the right reasons. Well, I was just going to say, I love that you're doing that with, uh, with your son there. And you and Scott are great parents. And I wish all of the parents out there across the Commonwealth could do the same. I think, you know, it's important. I know times have changed. Many people, uh, you know, both parents have to work jobs. And you're a single parent. You're really burdened. You're out working trying to feed the family and keep a roof over your head. But boy, if you could take the time to spend with your children and educate them on what it is that makes this country great, you know, what our founding fathers were able to accomplish and what we need to do to stay on the right path, you know. Freedom isn't free. No, absolutely. <clears throat> Ronald Reagan said, you know, uh, you know we're uh, only one generation away, you know, from losing this and that freedom isn't handed down in the bloodstream, but, you know, must be fought for. Fought for. for. In every generation, right? And uh, we don't want to be uh, the generation that loses it. Absolutely and not. And you know, to be telling our grandchildren, you know, what America was like when it was free, right? So uh, there's a lot of things here that we can uh, that we can agree on and we can embrace. And uh, you know, I you know, I hope that your message reaches our listeners, folks. We're here with Megan Martin, candidate for Commonwealth Court, uh, and you're listening to the Elephant in the Room. On WJS 1320 AM, 99.1 FM Talk. This is your host, Sam DeMarco. We'll be right back after the break. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here. Again, I'm the host, Sam DeMarco, joined here by Megan Martin, candidate for Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court. And Megan, we were talking before the break about why you're running for Commonwealth Court and what Commonwealth Court does. And you explained to our listeners earlier about how they hear cases involving the government. But can you help connect the dots for our folks who may not recognize how important this court is and how the cases that you rule on touch almost every aspect of their life. That's a wonderful question, Sam, and I absolutely can uh, touch on that for you. I think it's really important for folks to understand how special our Commonwealth Court is. There's no other court like it in the country. It only hears these government cases, whether it's local government issues or whether it is state government issues. And it hears these cases at uh, on an appeals level, but also on the trial court level. So it is an incredibly unique and special court. And if if a family has an issue um, with their utilities, or they have an issue, for example, a school board issue, mm -hmm. or some other local government decision, the Commonwealth Court is going to hear uh, those cases on appeal. If there's an issue regarding the election, Commonwealth Court is going to hear those issues. Um, if somebody thinks a piece of legislation that was passed was unconstitutional, then Commonwealth Court is going to resolve that dispute as well. During COVID, the, the, the business shutdowns, those were heard 
by the Commonwealth Court. If you have a land zoning issue, mm-hmm. um, which is important to a lot of people, if you own a farm, you know, the, these are, so it's, it's real life issues that impact real life people in real life ways. And I think it's very important for people to understand it about a court that probably most people in the Commonwealth have never even really heard of. Right. And so I think it's very, very special. And I've tried to really get my message out that it's important to have somebody on that bench who really understands government. And I, and I believe wholeheartedly that I am that person. I'm familiar with the issues. I know how our government works, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And unfortunately, I think I've seen a lot more bad and ugly, <laughs> which is exactly why I'm sitting here today, why I'm running for this right. position. Well, folks, when we talk about this, she's just explaining the issues the Commonwealth Court hears. And uh, one of the ones that you folks may be aware of is that the uh, you know Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court last year, Judge Renee Cohn Jubilee, ruled that the state's current way of funding school districts is unconstitutional. So the legislature is going to have to change how they choose to fund school districts, and that's something that uh, you know the governor and the legislature haven't come to an agreement on. But you know, she, she recognized that the current way that we're doing it doesn't provide equal opportunity or equal funding you know, to the students of the Commonwealth. So that remains to be seen. I think Sessions out on what they're going to do, what they're going to come out with is an answer. But that's an example of the kind of cases the Commonwealth Court hears. It's a wonderful example, Sam. So you also talked about you'd been to all 67 counties in the, before the primary. You were committed to going to all 67 again. So you're going to all four corners of the Commonwealth. How do you go about doing that? Well, I have an amazing campaign manager. I'll give her a little shout shout out here, Adrienne Mitford. I like to call her my campaign manager extraordinaire. And she works, Sam, as you know, with you and your counterparts all across the Commonwealth Mm -hmm. and other folks. She's been in this uh, business for a long time. And when I put my team together, because I had never run for anything before and frankly didn't know what I was doing, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, so choose wisely. And I have chosen wisely and she and she is the best and so adrian works hard at uh, she's built relationships over the years she also cultivates new relationships with new folks who come into state committee and in the business community or the county committees Mm -hmm. and and she puts together she either puts together um, opportunities and creates events for me or if there are events you know she she finds she makes sure i i get to the event and i people there who are in the community you know uh, you need an army to, to, to be victorious when you're running uh, statewide or locally. And mm-hmm. so we have people, boots on the ground, I like to say, who, who know the people in the community and who, who can help me get my message out and can introduce me to people in the community so they can get to know me. And, and I think there's tremendous value in people looking me in the eye and shaking my hand and seeing what I'm all about. And so they help me to do just that. Mm-hmm. And it's been incredibly uh, effective and I enjoy it thoroughly. And and for example, just this week alone, uh, we left the house this morning. And uh, so we're in the Southwest today. Tonight, Mm -hmm. we're going to end up in the Northwest and then I'll get to go home uh, tomorrow night. But then Wednesday, I'm in the center of the state and then I'm going to be in the Northeast and the Southeast at at the end of the week. I'm going to, I'm going to hit, I think maybe 10 counties between now and Saturday. So, you know, events, meaningful stops in each of those uh, regions of the state because I'm trying to get my message out and meet as many voters as I can and t- to win their trust and, and their vote. Now, folks, I was much better verbally than I was in math, okay? It sounds almost like there's an isosceles triangle here, okay? <laughs> Coming out across the state, then straight up to the north, and then back cutting across the state to get back home here. So do you take and, uh, and lay out all your trips 
you know, in geometric patterns. No, we do not. Um, th- that's how it worked out this time. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, um, how the rest of the, the calendar shakes out between now and November 7th. But like I said, we're, we're going to get everywhere again. I think it's important. And, and, I've, and you know what? It's given me a wonderful opportunity. I never would have seen the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon and, and other wonderful, you know, natural features mm-hmm. uh, in our beautiful Commonwealth. I've, I've been to almost every courthouse uh, in the county seat and, and had my picture taken and got to some, some courthouses I toured, some I just saw the outside. But, but it's been really special for me to, to do all this. And so it gives me a wonderful opportunity personally for my own enrichment to do that, but that it gives me an opportunity professionally to get out and meet the voters and, and earn their support. Have you been to the Allegheny County Courthouse yet? We have not. So we're well, I can arrange a little our, bit of a tour. I would love it. I mean, I, you know, I, I do have it. a... I do have a little bit of pull down there, you know. <laughs> I would love it. You know, okay. I will say please and thank you. Talk to Adrian and we'll set that up. That yes. sounds perfect. You know. So you're traveling all around. You're extremely well qualified. What's the biggest challenge that you're finding to date, you know, in regards to your candidacy and the race here or the position you're seeking? I think that a lot of people are under the, the misperception that odd number year elections really don't matter. And so I'm really trying to dispel that notion and, mm-hmm. and tell them these elections are critically important. These are local government elections. Not only are they going to have the opportunity to elect four statewide uh, judges, but also their local government positions. And local government touches them, again, in every aspect of their life on a daily basis. And so I've really tried to have an educational component to my campaigning, uh, not only about the Commonwealth Court and how special it is and how my experience is perfect for that, but also the importance of this year's election cycle generally. And so I've really been working hard to do that and to energize people and to want them to want to vote for me. And I've tried to run a very positive campaign. I ran a positive campaign during the primary. I'm running a positive campaign now. I want to give the people of Pennsylvania something positive to vote for. I want them to want to come out and vote for me. And so I'm working really hard to energize them and to make them enthusiastic and do that. Well, it seems like you're off to a great start here. Now, you were just talking about something, and this brings to a point something I've been trying to make for the last couple of years, and that's the need for Republicans to embrace early voting and voting by mail. Now, I'm not talking about the folks that go to the polls every single election every single year. You know, those are our super voters. We know you're going to vote. But, you know, studies have shown that every inch of rain will depress turnout by 1%. Every inch of snow will depress turnout by half a percent. And then life gets in the way sometimes. You know, you get ill. Your kids get ill. The car breaks down. You have to work late, okay? Or go out of town. You know, uh, somebody dies in the family, okay? Life happens. And what we've seen is the Democrats effectively use the 50 days of early voting, you know, to get what they call low and mid-propensity Democrats to turn on and cast their votes. Republicans need to do the same. We can no longer sit around, give Democrats a 50-day head start, and expect to take an, uh, overcome it in 13 hours on Election Day. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Sam. I think that mail-in ballots are the law of the land mm-hmm. here in Pennsylvania, whether you like it or not. But they are, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And so we as a party, I do think, need to embrace them because 
as you said, the, the Democratic Party has used them so successfully, so why wouldn't we use them? I, I think that it puts us at a huge disadvantage, you know, to have our voices heard also. And I mm-hmm. think we must have pr- plenty of low propensity voters that we could reach who we could get their votes as well on right. election day. And I think it's really important. I mean, if, if the election is about getting uh, people's voices heard, I think it's a wonderful way to get more people's voices heard fr- from our party. Right, and, and you had said, we have four appellate court seats up this year, folks. And Carolyn Carluccio, president judge in Montgomery County, is running for the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. If we are unsuccessful this year, we will not have an opportunity to regain a balance in the court or to win the court until t- 2035 at the earliest. <clears throat> Why does that matter? Why does it you know, matter when you're a judge supposed to be ruling on the law that, you know, uh, one party has control or one party's judges, you know, have the majority of the members seated on that court. And it's because we've seen their activist courts out there. And I would contend that the current Pennsylvania State Supreme Court is an activist court. I mean, I go back to 2018 where they passed, you know, where they passed, they struck down our congressional district plan, which had been in place for eight years, which had been agreed to on a bipartisan basis, had been signed by the governor, and was in place, and then they just hired their own map maker, someone from Stanford University, who came in and completely redrew the maps and completely upset the balance of power here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. <clears throat> Follow it up, the 2020 election. Cases were heard. There were challenges from Democratic activists to loosen the rules. And Act 77, which had been passed on a, and passed and signed into law on October 31st of 2019, um, there were certain safeguards in there that had been agreed to in order to get no excuse mail-in ballots. But the state Supreme Court completely disregarded those safeguards and said, hey, you know, um, drop boxes, they weren't in the law. But the state Supreme Court says, yeah, sure, you could have them. Uh, state Supreme Court created out of thin air. Oh, you can have a three-day extension. Yeah, we know Election Day ends at 8 p.m. on Election Day, but you know what? As long as those ballots are in by the end of the day on Friday, you know, they can count, okay? Uh, The state Supreme Court said, signature verification? Oh, no need to do that. There's nothing in there. So to me, folks, that's an activist court, and it's one more reason why we need to elect the slate of judges we have this year, which is Megan Martin for Commonwealth Court, Judge Harry Smale and Maria Batista for Pennsylvania Superior Court, and again, Judge Carolyn Carluccio for Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Because we need to put a stop to this activism in our courts. We need to have people there who will rule on the law and not at the bequest of their party. I completely agree with you, Sam. And I think that what the people of Pennsylvania are going to get from me and from uh, Judge Carluccio and Judge Smale and Maria Batista are, are four judges who respect separation of powers and who respect the important role of judges and the independent role of judges. That is what was envisioned by our separation of powers, and that's what the people need and what the people deserve. They deserve the best in their judges, and that's what they're going to get from the four of us. Well, that's what we expect. You know, nothing more and nothing less. I mean, that's me. That's what makes a great judge. Absolutely. <clears throat> so we, we were talking about the mail-in ballots for just a minute here before. Why it's important. I mean, we just try to explain that to everybody, but we can't afford to have you folks wake up on election day and be hundreds of thousands of votes down. Just I can't agree. Just can't make that up, okay? And Democrats get better and better at it every year. And, you know, again, so folks understand what happens in Pennsylvania. When you vote by mail, there's an annual 
application process. But every year, if you voted by mail the previous year, either the state or the county will send out an application for you the following year. Now, they're doing that at the taxpayer's expense, not the parties, not the candidates. <clears throat> so essentially what's having happen here is Republican tax dollars are sending out mail-in ballot applications to majority Democrats across this Commonwealth, helping them build even more voters who vote by mail. You know, and it's it's taking and building on that edge, that lead, while we, you know, each cycle try to talk to our voters and get them to come out and vote on election day. It's just not enough. I would agree. And we need every vote we can get. And uh, I've been encouraging people, all four of us on the campaign trail have been consistent. You know, we, we have a great ticket and we all, well, when, we're, when we're together, we speak together. But when we divide and conquer, so to speak, and go to different mm -hmm. regions of the Commonwealth, we all like to deliver that same message on how important it is. To, you know, we encourage people to use the mail-in ballots. We're, we're trying to, again, reach out to low propensity voters, get them interested in the elections, get them wanting to vote. If, if for whatever reason they don't want to come to the polls, I respect that. That's fine. But here's an opportunity. Their voice can still be heard right. through their mail-in ballot. And exactly. I think that's important. And so that's what we're, we're trying to, to get that message out loud and clear as well, Sam. And, you know, one of the things I think that's, if I use the word quizzical, okay, <clears throat> to me is that Republicans used to own the absentee ballot process. I mean, we had a plan in place. We worked it and, you know, did very well. But for whatever reason here, and maybe it was the 2020 election, you know, former President Trump, you know, who had the bully pulpit, you know, railed against mail-in ballots, talked about the risks and things of that nature. But here in Pennsylvania, it's a little bit different. You know, they don't send out ballots to people that haven't applied. You have to apply. You have to send an application to request a mail-in ballot. You have to provide identifying information, either your Pennsylvania driver's license number or the last four digits of your Social Security number, okay? They send it to your house, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you when your application's been received, when it's been approved, and then they'll take and send you an email and letting you know to expect your ballot to be coming out. And then when you re return your ballot, you'll get an email saying your ballot has been received and you know then that your vote is going to count. So there's a lot of <clears throat> safeguards in place. This isn't like a California where they just mail ballots out willy-nilly to everyone on a voter roll because we know that the voter rolls are problematic, right? But the 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 process here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is as good as we can make it at this point in time. And unless we're able to get judges who will uphold the law and a legislature that can pass it, the governor that will sign it, for the time being, this is the best we can do. We need to take advantage of the rules in place. Absolutely. These are the rules and let's follow the rules. And again, get our voices heard as Republicans as well. Okay. So, hey, Tell us a little bit more about the family. My husband Scott and I, we are a uh, we're a modern blended family. Mm -hmm. So uh, Scott and I have been together uh, 10 years now. We met when our boys were in uh, first grade together. Uh, our kids went through Catholic school back home in central Pennsylvania. And Ted is my stepson, but I, I love him as much as if he were my own son by birth. Uh, his mother had just passed away after a lengthy battle with breast cancer. And I was a single uh, mom for for several years and through through the course of the summer some of the moms in the class it was a very 
close-knit community in, yeah. in the school, and they were having play dates and things to, uh, to keep Ted, my stepson, uh, you know, kind of busy during the summer. Right. And so that's how Scott and I met, and we have been together. I have two children of my own, my daughter Mara and my son Jack, and Scott and I feel like we really were given a second chance at, at life and love, and, and we know what a blessing that is and what a privilege that is. And, you know, I have told my children for years and years and years, the single most important decision that you will make in your life as an adult is who you choose as your partner in life, to be your husband or your wife, and so choose wisely. And it is so true, and we feel so blessed that we have found each other, and and we try to set a loving, you know, faith-filled mm-hmm. example for our family. Um, and it, it's really, it, it's 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 been wonderful, crazy wonderful, well, as we like to say. Well, isn't that the truth? I mean, it really is, you know, the best choice that you can make in life. It you is. have to make the right ones, folks. Yeah. You know, now absolutely. He's sort of like that's a little bit like a Brady Bunch story, okay? <laughs> but just with three less kids. Yes. Okay. Now, do you have a housekeeper, Alice, or anything like that? <laughs> nope. No. Okay. Nope. And you know, I, I come from such a large family. I'm one of six children myself, and I always wanted a large family. So I'm so thrilled to have another son. And of all three kids, I think that. Ted, our youngest, is, is the most like me in terms of his, his temperament. Mm-hmm. And you know, he lost his mother at such a tender young age. And I was very close to my mother, and I was in my 20s when I lost her. But mm-hmm. it was still devastating. And I think Ted and I have just always had a special connection because we, sh- we understand each other's grief. Right. And, right. Um, and I've never tried to, you know, he does not call me mom. He calls me Megan. And I, I've told him I'll, I'll never replace I'll never be your mom, right, you know, but right. I will be the mother figure in your life. Yeah. And so, and I, I view that as a, a privilege because I, I think that he, he is just a one, wonderful young man. All my children are wonderful. He is a wonderful, loving, faith-filled young man. And, and God put me in his life for a reason, and he wouldn't have put me there if I wasn't the right person mm-hmm. to be the mother figure in his life. And so I feel very fortunate to to have the, a special opportunity to, to fill a, a huge void in his life, to help fill that void. Mm-hmm. Folks, I think you're hearing, as you hear Megan talk about her family, I don't know if you can feel the emotion coming through the radio waves here that we're seeing in the studio, okay? But it's telling you a little bit how about who she is as a person, you know, and how she is as a mother, <clears throat> how she treats her family. And I think when we take and elect people, you know, we hope that we're electing good people to office, okay? And I don't think there's any doubt that we would be electing a great person here you know, and Megan Martin, if we were to elect her to Commonwealth Court. And I know Daryl, uh, he agrees. He's sitting over here shaking his head, you know. Thank you kindly, Sam. I, I think I'm, you know, I was very blessed. I had an amazing mom, and she was everything good and kind and loving and just wonderful. And she made me always aspire to be a mom. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in school, I wasn't aspiring to be a lawyer and a judge. And, and, you know, through the grace of God, I've had a wonderful career. I've been blessed with that. But but let's face it, when you're a parent, that that's your your most impactful, important job that you're ever going to have in your life. And so, right. um, I, I've never forgotten that. And what a blessing it is to be, you know, parenting with Scott, you know, by my side, you know, as like I said, we are, you know, husband and wife partners in life, best friends, and and we really we're very blessed, and we are incredibly thankful. And you know, I, I just sometimes I just have to remind myself, oh my gosh, you know, I'm just I'm so blessed, and don't ever take it for granted. Every day is a gift, and your family is everything. No, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I can't tell you how happy and pleased I am. So I've gotten the opportunity to meet you and Scott and get to know you guys. And, uh, you know, again, uh, everything that I'm saying here on the radio is heartfelt. Thank you so much. 
So, Thank you so much. Uh, what would you like our listeners to know about your running mates, the folks that are on there? Is there anything you want to say oh, about your running mates? Absolutely. I would love to. Uh, I'll start with the top of the ticket, Judge Carolyn Carluccio. Mm-hmm. She, as you indicated, is the president judge in the Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas. And Carolyn is uh, a lovely person. And I've so enjoyed getting to know her and Maria and Judge Smale. But one, some interesting things about Carolyn, I, I think in terms of her ethics, unquestionable. You know, she is just, uh, she's just a, a good person. And her experience is incredible for purposes of becoming a Supreme Court justice. She's mm-hmm. been a federal prosecutor. She has been a public defender. She is the president judge in her courthouse where there are 24 judges, the majority of whom are Democrats. And she was unanimously elected by her judges, by the her peers, to be the president judge. So I think that is a true testament to her ability to be a fair and impartial judge on our Supreme okay. Court. I think that's really important. Carolyn, like me, she's Irish-Italian. Her dad is 92. My dad is 91. So we have a lot of similarities. Uh, her dad's uh, still working. My dad retired a few years ago. But we have a lot of uh, similarities. You know, she's a woman of deep faith. So I, I think that's important for your listeners to know that. And Judge Smale and uh, Maria Batista, I've really enjoyed getting to know them as okay. well. And Judge Smale is the judge uh, in the Westmoreland County Court of Common mm-hmm. Pleas. He's been there almost 10 years. Prior to that, I think he was more than a decade in private practice handling criminal and civil litigation. So he drink, brings tremendous experience to the Superior Court, which is a court that hears uh, 70% uh, criminal cases and then civil litigation that's not related to the government cases that I would hear on the Commonwealth Court. Mm-hmm. And so what people should know about uh Harry about Judge Smale is he worked his way through law school. He was a a probation officer. And so I have a lot of respect for anybody who worked full time and then for four years also went to law school at night so that he could become an attorney. I I have a tremendous amount of respect for the hard work that it took for him to to do that. And uh, what I would say about Maria Batista is she brings a tremendous amount of experience also to the Superior Court because she has been a prosecutor. She has worked for state government. She has worked in the private sector, she's also worked, like I did, as a civilian attorney for the Navy. So she brings also you know, a, a, a breadth and depth of experience to the Superior Court that I think Judge Smale, Judge Carluccio, and, and I will bring to our respective courts. And what I would certainly want your listeners to know with regard to the Superior Court race is please vote for two. There are two vacancies. So please vote for both Judge Smale and Maria Batista. Uh, I would not want people to think they could only vote for one. I think the language is a little confusing. It says vote for not more than one. That means you can vote for two. Please vote for two. There are two vacancies on Superior Court. Now, hey, before we go, if someone wanted to help you, how how would they go about helping you? Well, they can go to my website or Mm -hmm. they can go to my Facebook or Instagram pages. My website is meganmartin4pa.com, and it's M-E-G-A-N-M-A-R-T-I-N. F-O-R-P-A.com, and that's the same uh, Megan Martin for PA on Facebook and on Instagram. And you can join the team. I think that's the phrase we have on the on the website, and you can mm-hmm. send us a message there. It goes right to Adrian, my campaign manager. We need help putting signs together. We need help uh, distributing signs, um, knocking on doors, helping us put together events, helping to get our message out. I would be honored to have people uh, be part of our volunteer Uh, network and they can follow me on social media on facebook and on instagram and share our posts and help spread our message that helps as well so anything they can do we would greatly appreciate do they have the opportunity to donate online if they like to contribute yes they do yes they do fantastic folks i think we had a great show today you got to hear and learn a lot more about the person that's the candidate and that's megan martin 
candidate for Commonwealth Court. As always, time flies when we start talking here. Maybe it's my big mouth. I need to shut up more and listen to the uh, our guests. But until next week. Might be the fact that John's not here either. You, well, finally, my, get, you finally get a chance to talk. Oh, well, yeah. John, Calvin Coleridge, Schneider. But, hey, folks, uh, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco signing off for The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM in 99.1 FM Talk.